0: The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. dot com. I remember the time that um, that God became very real in my life. You guys remember that moment or that that kind of season for you? I know, I know that sometimes it's a season, right? Like sometimes it's uh, over uh, a couple weeks, sometimes it's a couple months, sometimes it's years that, that God is just kind of wooing you and drawing you and, and just kind of uh, allowing himself to be known by you. And, and, and he's very patient with us, isn't he? I remember um, it was the last weekend of February. Uh, I was 21 years old and the day before, um, someone gave me a Bible for the first time. I'd never read it before. Never read anything out of it, actually. And it was in the morning, and I and I went, and um, we were supposed to... It was on a, a Christian retreat, and so we, we were supposed to do this thing called quiet time, and I didn't know what that was. Uh, but I went, and I, and I kind of went into the woods, and I kind of sat down uh, by this tree. It was a, kind of a really chilly, but but nice morning. And, and I was sitting there and I began to read the scriptures and I began to read things that uh, I was really instructed to read. I think uh, God was kind of setting me up. Uh, but uh, I was reading these passages and really what happened to me uh, was really unique because all of a sudden I began to read things about God's grace and about God's love and about how he seeks me and he draws me and, and how he loves me. And, and, and the biggest thing was is that he, he began to... I began to read things about how he took my sin upon himself. Everything that I'd ever done, everything that I ever will do, he, he took it all on him. And in that moment, I just remember being very frustrated with God. Um, not frustrated like mad that he did that, but frustrated because the Bible says that he knows me. And if he really knew me, then how could that God actually love me? And and I don't even know if it was the love that I was doubting, but really it was the free gift of grace. It was this gift of compassion that that if God, you knew every thought, if you knew every word, every deed, every emotion, every feeling, that in that moment, how could you really have, have grace in that moment? And so... Really, that was the beginning of me wrestling with God. He wins. <laughs> he, he does that, doesn't he? Right? I, I mean, he kind of wins, and, and, um, and, it, and it, totally, it, it totally changed my life. It, it, it caused this kind of commotion in my life. Jesus has a tendency to do that. Um, I say this sometimes, but, but it's really true. Uh, the distance from where you're sitting to where I'm sitting is very small because I was right there and God just just did something radical in me. And so, and so I couldn't avoid it. I know that God does radical things. I pray that we would have our breath taken away again like that first time. I pray that we would we would have this this awe again when it comes to seeing God. I pray that this text that we're in today would stir in us something um something compelling, you know? In the last uh, 5 weeks we've been going through the book of John and um it really starts off with this introduction about uh about God uh, s- being the Word, and and this Word was Jesus, and then and then and then we see John the Baptist kind of come in and prepare the way and say, "Behold, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world." And and Jesus shows up and he says, "There he is. He's he's God." And, and then and then people just start to come out of the woodwork and 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 proclaim that he's the Messiah, proclaim that he's God. He uh, uh, Philip proclaims it, and Andrew proclaims it, and and Peter proclaims it, and then all of a sudden. Jesus says, I'm the son of man, which was unique, remember? Out of Daniel 7, where he says, my kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. My, my dominion is an everlasting dominion. And every tribe, every tongue, every nation will, will worship and serve me. And then, and then there's, this, there's this thing at the temple in John chapter 2. Where the temple, the, the place that was supposed to be for repentance and worship actually became this place of, of ritual and, and dead religion and meaningless sacrifice. And Jesus just kind of comes in and he, and he cleanses this deal and they start to question Jesus. And they're like, by what authority are you going to do these? Show me some sign. And Jesus says, you want a sign? I, I am the sign. He says, this temple will be torn down in three days. I'll raise it again. He's talking about his resurrection. He says, you want a sign? I, I am the sign. You'll see a sign. And then, and then remember Nicodemus, the, the religious leader, comes to Jesus at night. And Jesus kind of straightens out his belief system. And, and, and he's talking to him about the kingdom of God. And then, and then uh, the religious leader comes and says, and Jesus says to him, he says, "You you won't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again." That's radical, right? And he's like, well, "What do you mean, be born again? I, I don't I don't get it." And and then Jesus kind of goes on and he says, "I make people born again." I came into the world so that whoever believes in me, you're not going to perish, but have everlasting life. I can make you born again. I am life. And then then last week, we began to see um, Jesus begins to leave Jerusalem and go back to Galilee. And all of a sudden, he he goes through uh, Samaria, and he meets this woman, this woman at this well, And he kind of just reads her mail mail. I mean, he just tells her everything about her. And he offers her living water. Where are you going to get this living water? He says, I am the living water. I'm the temple. I'm the one that makes you born again. I am the living water. The, the whole town comes to see Jesus and, and calls him the savior of the world. Jesus finally enters into Galilee and there's this official uh, man there. He runs up to Jesus and says, my son is sick. He's about to die. And Jesus, he, he begins to, to say, your son will live. Your son will be well. And sure enough, he goes back to his house and his son was healed and, and, and his, whole, his whole household believes. Then Jesus does something very interesting in John chapter five. He turns around and he goes back to Jerusalem. Unique, isn't it? Kind of strange. I thought it was. Thought he just came from Jerusalem. He, he walked through Samaria, he got to Galilee, he heals the son, and then he turns around and he goes back. I looked it up this week. They said that if you're in a straight line, Jerusalem to Galilee is 90 miles. At the shortest point, it's 90 miles. If you're walking, it's probably more about 120 miles. So Jesus, let, let, me, let me get this. Jesus leaves Jerusalem, walks 90 miles to Galilee. On the way, he heals a, 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 heals a Samaritan woman who was just caught up in adultery and sin. He heals this, this son who was sick. And then he turns around and he goes right back to Jerusalem, 90 miles I began to think that his purpose and his aim was the woman at the well. His purpose for the journey, it was to heal the son. And so he turns around and he walks back to Jerusalem. And look in John chapter 5, starting in verse 3. He walks right in to this area where there's this pool, this pool at Bethsaida. And and let me give you some background on this. This this pool was known to have healing in it. This pool was known that that an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the waters of the pool, and the first one in the pool would all of a sudden, all of a sudden, get healed. It was a miracle. Now, look in verse 3. In, these, in this area where this pool was, and these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Jesus walks 90 miles to go to this area where there is a multitude of sick a multitude, this is probably hundreds of people who were sick and lame and paralyzed, hundreds of people who were blind, hundreds of people who had some type of ailment that were just waiting to be healed. There was probably family and people around to kind of help them around, but they're, they're covering this, this area, if you will. And among the multitude, Jesus goes to one man. Just one man. The Bible says that this one man was paralyzed for 38 years. I don't know if uh, this man uh, was paralyzed from birth. I don't know if I don't I don't know if he uh, was born this way. I don't I don't know if, if he's actually around thirty-eight years old and he's had the, the the paralysis for all his life. I don't know if this is all that he's known or not. Maybe he was paralyzed later in life. Maybe he's older and, and somehow there was this tragedy or something happened to him and, and, and for whatever reason he's paralyzed now. But, but the Bible says that for 38 years he was paralyzed. And here's the reality for this guy. The reality is, is that he had no one around him. There's no one there to help him. There's no one there to take care of him. I believe that it's possible to be among crowds of people and feel absolutely alone. I believe that it's possible to be in the middle of the multitude of people and feel alone and feel abandoned and feel helpless Anybody? And so there's this man in the middle of all these people that feels alone and Abandoned. But look at what Jesus does in John chapter 5, verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? Now Jesus knows this man. Hear me. Just like he knew the woman at the well. Just like he knew the official son was sick. He he knew this man. He absolutely knew him. And, and, and here's, here's the deal. He knows Peter, he knows Philip. He says, I saw you by the fig tree. He he knew this man. And he knows you. I remember the day that I was sitting there by that tree. And I began to think about how how he knew me. He knows you, guys. He knows everything about you. This is, this, is such, this is such a precious truth. I pray that we would grab hold of this truth. Because once you know that Jesus knows you, and you know him, and you know him as friend, and you know him as Lord, and you know him as Savior, and, and really you know him as your treasure. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you really know him as the life giver, as you know him as the living water, as he says that he is. The, 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 the main thing is not only that you know him, but he knows you. He knows every thought. He knows every deed. He knows every word. He knows everything you've ever spoken and everything that you've ever done. And he knows every feeling that you've ever had. He knows every emotion that's ever been in you. He knows it all. He absolutely knows you. And the reason why this is so amazing is because in the middle of knowing you, He has compassion. I think that's what I wrestled with. It wasn't denying the fact that he didn't know me. It was he did know me, and and I was unworthy of being anything close to him. You know? He knows you, and he has compassion on you. If, If Jesus was mean and hard-hearted and cruel to be known by him would be horrible wouldn't it if jesus was just was just this 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 bully this this man who just stands over everyone and just judges them with this hammer if jesus was just mean and hard-hearted be known by him would be the most the worst thing i could ever imagine jesus knows you and he has compassion If Jesus wasn't full of grace and mercy, we'd all be doomed. Jesus knows this man and he has compassion on him. And that's why being known by him is so amazing. He knows completely the woman at the well and has compassion. He knows completely all of the disciples. He knows completely the thoughts of all the Jews and he knows this man and he knows you and he has compassion. But why? Is it because we deserve it, guys? Am I worthy of that grace? If we were worthy of grace, it wouldn't be called grace. It'd be called justice. That's what we would get. not because we deserve it. It's because it's the nature and the character of God to be compassionate. Because Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost. Isn't that amazing? That he would come and seek and save the lost. Listen to me. That Jesus would walk 90 miles find this one man because he came to seek and save the lost. 90 miles. And then he asks him, hey, do you want to be healed? (laughs) Now this is crazy because the man doesn't say, yeah, he doesn't say, well, um, that's why I'm here. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, yes, I want to be healed more than anything else. You know what he says? Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And, and he says, um, I don't have anyone to put me in the pool. You see, when the water stirred, there's, there's no one here to help me. You, you, see, you see, here's the deal, uh, strange man asking me if I want to be healed. Um, the, see, when the, the water stirred, the thing is, is you've got to get to the pool. And as you can see, I can't get to the pool. And, and even when I kind of come close to getting to the pool, someone always beats me to the pool. And, and it, I've been here a long time. As you can see, I have a problem getting to the pool. Jesus doesn't say this, but you can almost see it on his face. He's like, I know. <laughs> right? You see, the problem is I can't get to. He, and Jesus' is like, I know. Do you want to be healed? Um, I fight a lot of insecurity. I know it doesn't seem like it. I was just telling a friend uh, this last week that uh, sometimes I struggle so much with insecurity that I feel like my worth and my value is only based on like my last sermon. I don't expect you to understand that but it's tough for me. And so I know like in my head that my worth and my value is supposed to come from who God says I am. And, and, I, and I truly believe that it does, particularly on those hard days. But, but I know that a lot of you probably struggle with insecurity. You know, you probably struggle with things like depression and anxiety And and you're not really sure even where that comes from or or how that even plays itself out. But, But I know it's very real. I struggle sometimes with fear. A lot of times I find myself among a multitude of people who are paralyzed. And sometimes I'm one of them. And Jesus says I know Eric, I know you do. I know you do. And then he and then I read this text. It's so true for me. He says he says, "Do you want to be healed?" And so if you've ever been around a multitude of people who Uh, somehow are paralyzed by whatever. I I, I pray that you would hear Jesus asking you, do you want to be healed? Here's the crazy thing. The man gives no evidence of faith. Zero. He he has no response to belief. He doesn't even understand who Jesus is. I mean, if you read the story, he, he doesn't even know who he is. He is no response to faith. But the man has a massive need. And Jesus is moved with compassion. Jesus is moved. That's why the Bible calls him the sympathetic high priest, because he knows what you're going through, he knows your struggles. He knows the front that you try to put up so that nobody else will recognize it. He sees right through that. Jesus knows every situation and every thought and every feeling, and he's moved. And Jesus responds, but hear me, he doesn't respond to the man's face. He responds just simply with grace. He responds with just simply compassion on him. And he says, do you want to be healed? Well, you see, there's this pool thing and, and Jesus is like, I know. Why don't you get up? Why don't you get up and take your mat and walk? And the Bible says that at once the man gets up, rolls up his bed, puts it under his arm and leaves. Jesus says with his mouth, just get up. I know you're not responding by faith. You don't even know who I am, but I'm telling you to get up. And he gets up and he walks out. After 38 years, it's over. Would that not cause a commotion in your heart? Can we not be in awe of that even today? This man was. He says, get up. And the man walks away. It's a miracle. I mean, just the fact that he can walk after 38 years, right? I mean, sometimes when I sit in one position too long. (laughs) You know, like my legs are a little numb, but I have a hard time getting up. Is that too much? Okay. Boundaries. Got it. <laughs> this man, Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. That's verse 11. And, and, then, and then he goes to the temple. The, the Bible says that Jesus did this on the Sabbath. Jesus knows that healing on the Sabbath would cause a commotion. Jesus knows that healing on the Sabbath is going to be a big deal. Jesus knows what he's doing in this moment. Because it's going to create a commotion in this man's heart. It's going to create a commotion in the Jews later on. It's why they are looking to kill him. There's a commotion among the people. So much so that when the man who was uh, paralyzed, he gets up. He takes his mat, he goes into the temple, and then the Jews come to him, and they ask him, "Um, excuse me, uh, sir, this is a paraphrase, obviously, don't you know it's the Sabbath? Uh, Well, actually, yeah, I did know that. Uh, Do you know that it's unlawful to take up your bed and walk on the Sabbath like you're doing now? Don't you know that the Sabbath was for rest? Don't you know that the Sabbath is not for any work at all? What are you doing? You're taking up your bed. You're walking. What's that all about? And the man is like, "Um, but uh, there was this guy, and uh, he told me to get up and walk. And so I got up and walked. Who was that guy? That's what they said. Who was he? Tell us who he who 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 told you to do that? Who told you that this was a? Who told you to get up? I don't know. Right? I, I don't know. He left. The, the Bible says that because of the multitude of people that were around, that Jesus healed this man, and then he got out of there. He just left. And so, so he left. He's like, I don't know. I, I, didn't, I didn't even get his name. I, I don't know who he is. I began to think about, what is this? Why, 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 why would he do this? Would he just just leave him like that? He would just heal him and then leave? What is Jesus Doing here. Look, look in verse 14. Oh, by the way, uh, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He knew what he was doing with the woman at the well. He knew what he was doing with the son. He, he knows what he's doing right here. And, and so in verse 14, it says, it says afterwards, after this, Jesus found him in the temple. It's like he, he got out of there before there was this, this multitude, like this, this pile on Jesus. I mean, if you heal one man right here, these multitude of people, these invalids would come. And so he got out of there and then he goes and he finds him. He seeks him again. He's looking for him. He's, he's searching for him. all of a sudden after this, it says Jesus found him in the temple and said, see, you're well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus has no intention of just simply leaving this man with meaningless health. Follow me. Jesus has no intention of just simply healing him and letting him just live the rest of his days uh, as a healed man without uh, underlining purpose, without a bigger purpose, without a bigger cause. So Jesus goes back and he pursues him more because he knows him, he has compassion on him, he seeks him, he finds him, and he says, see that you are well. Sin no more. So that nothing worse would happen to you. How unloving would it be if Jesus just simply healed his body, knowing that that body would eventually just enter into destruction and torment? Jesus doesn't just heal people without cause or intention. So, what is the real issue of the healing? What is the real issue of outward blessing that God gives us? What is the real issue of grace? The issue of the healing is holiness. I believe the issue is is holiness. Jesus' aim is to heal his soul is to mend the brokenness that sin has scarred and left in his, in his heart, in his mind, in his soul. Jesus comes and he says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. I've come to forgive sin. I've come to make you better. The issue is holiness. He says, I'm offering myself as living water because the issue is holiness. Our aim in loving others, our aim in proclaiming the gospel, our aim in helping those in need, our aim at hospitality, our aim in praying for losses, our our aim in everything we do is not just simply to heal the nations of some physical disease, but the problem is sin. That's the that's the underlying problem to everything and Jesus says, "I don't want to just heal your legs." I didn't just come to heal your legs. That's not what I'm about. I do heal physically. I do have compassion on your physical need, but really what I've come to do is deal with sin. Healing cannot be an end into itself. Healing cannot be just simply a quick fix to our external need. Healing cannot just simply be so that we would feel good and idolize our legs. Look, I can walk. It cannot just simply be so that we would be more comfortable. Healing cannot just simply be about healing a sickness. It has to go deeper than that because that's the most loving thing. And Jesus says, I healed you but I want to heal your sin. Because if that was the end, if healing was just simply the end of compassion, if healing was, was just simply what Jesus was after in his compassion, then really that would be cruel to reveal himself. But that's not our God. Jesus has a purpose for what he's revealing in your life. Jesus has a purpose for his compassion. He gives this man a gift, not that he deserves it. He gives this man a gift, and he didn't earn it so that he would know the power of grace in his life. It's like Jesus says, Wake up. Wake up. Do you want to be healed? So many times I find myself asking God for external things, where in the end, what He really wants to do is heal my soul. You know? He wants to heal my heart. And he wants to deal with my sin. And so Jesus does that. Jesus says, I've come into the world to forgive sinners. I've come into the world to set you free from sin. I've come into the world to start a commotion in your heart, to heal your soul. The whole deal is about holiness. Jesus is saying the main objective is not just to deal with your sickness, although one day there will be no more sickness. There will be no more tears. There will be no more more pain. I'm going to deal with that, and this is a picture of that, but I really want to come and deal with your sin. Jesus is about making us holy by dying for sin or else something worse. There's a lot of bad things, aren't there? Malaria is pretty bad. Cancer. It's pretty bad. You ever know someone who is getting eaten up by cancer? HIV, AIDS. It's pretty bad. To be paralyzed for 38 years. That's pretty bad. What's worse than that? Sin. Sin. Sin is worse. Sin is a million times worse. Sin is a million times worse because, because it's, it's the most horrible, because it's not just simply 38 years that we have to deal with it. It's 38 billion ages of years that sin causes separation and destruction. Jesus is so compassionate that he just doesn't simply heal his legs. He wants to heal his soul. And he says, I've come to deal with sin. I've come to die for sin. I've come to sacrifice for sin. I've come to set you free from this bondage and this paralyzing sin. And I'm going to break it. And I'm going to do it on the cross. And I'm going to show you that I've done it by raising from the dead so that you could be ultimately free, not only in this life, but in the one to come. I've come to seek and save the lost. Oh, how I need Jesus to save me from all the ways, from all the thoughts, from then the anguish. And so Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath. It's not lawful. To heal on the Sabbath. And then Jesus ends with this. He says, you see, my father, he works on the Sabbath. My father, he does things on the Sabbath. And so Jesus says, so I do things on the Sabbath. You see, my father. He still works. The Bible says that he holds everything by the word of his mouth. He has to do that on the. He, he sees his father working, and, and it's like it's like Jesus says, "My father heals on Sundays." At this time, it would be Saturday. Now we see it as Sunday. He says, My Father heals on these days, and so I heal on these days, both physical and spiritual, both physical and emotional. I heal every day. Jesus says, I bring life on Sunday. I bring healing on Sunday. I bring hope on Sunday. I let the lame walk on Sunday. And then he says, I'm I'm equal to God. Guys, that's an extraordinary claim. But that's next week. I pray that today we would not just simply trust Jesus to provide some external blessing and not being able to trust him with our soul because that's what he came to deal with. He came to deal with our sin and our brokenness. And listen, guys, what I've learned or what I'm learning is that he's big enough to take my insecurity. He's big enough to take my heart. He's big enough to meet me at that moment when he first started a work in me, and he's big enough to see it to completion. And can we just trust him with that? Do you want to be healed? It's like Jesus says, I know. I know. So let's pray. Jesus, today, Lord, I ask that you would help me trust you with salvation. Lord that everything you're doing and everything you're providing and everything you're you're doing among the multitude is to lead us into you to make us like you that that by your stripes we are healed oh god And so today Lord if there's anything in my life anything in my soul Lord that just simply separates me from you I ask that God today you would just heal that that you would make me well. That I would trust that it's by your sacrifice that I could be made holy, that it's nothing that I can do. And when I fall, I run to you. When I doubt, I run to you. When I have insecurity, I run to you. When When I'm lost, I run to you because God, you are the healer of my soul. Jesus, today, I pray that you would bring salvation to the multitude of those who are paralyzed. That you would bring salvation to those who are just sitting and waiting around the pool, that you would walk 90 miles to seek us out. And then it's by your Holy Spirit you're drawing us. And so today for every man and every woman, that you would heal us. For the glory of your name, not because we deserve it, but by your grace, that I would trust that you have dealt with my sin and that would set me free. If you're here today, and maybe maybe you've never, you never talked to God about, about how he knows you, maybe you've never felt the compassion that Jesus has for us because of, of some insecurity or some thing that you're facing, I pray that today you would not forsake this time, but you would really call upon him, talk to him. Talk to him about knowing you. Talk to him about healing your heart. Talk to him about healing your soul because he wants to. That's what he came to do. That's why he sent the comforter, the Holy Spirit, so that he can work and talk to each one of us individually, just like he did with this man. He responds to you. I love you.